Hi everyone and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P. D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 12 and we will be covering this chapter in two parts over separate podcasts. This is Part 1. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. Well, Chapter 12. Hi Pete, how are you going? I'm doing okay. I was supposed to be watching the Australian Grand Prix in, from Melbourne at the moment, you know, this early hour of the morning, but of course um, <laughs> the powers that be have shut it down. But nevertheless, it gives us the opportunity to spend this morning Going through Ospensky, Chapter 12. That's right. You know, your loss is my gain, shall I say. <laughs> We'd have done this a different day, that was all. <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah, sorry, yes, it isn't really my gain. I, I feel for you, Pete, because I know you were looking forward to that. No, I, I was. Yeah, yeah you were. Oh, well. Um, so, Chapter 12. I'm actually excited about Chapter 12 because I, I, I think we're out of the mire into into you know the start of some some stuff that, that is really interesting and... So I'm going to start off with where Spensky starts off and this chapter basically focuses on the three forms of phenomena that he has defined as the physical phenomena, phenomena of life and phenomena of consciousness. And I'll just read you his opening uh, paragraph as I often do. So here we go. The order of phenomena is defined for us first by our method of apprehending them and second by the form of the transition of one order of phenomena into another. So when I read that, I thought, what is he talking about when he says uh, by the form of the transition of one order of phenomena into another? And it's only through reading the rest of the chapter that that became clear and which to me, I think is an interesting way to start something that you haven't explained, but you're kind of prefacing it with something that, uh, well, you know, means nothing to start with. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it gives you no chance to critique him at this point. Anyway, that's because, mm. you know, I mean, that, that's so, his that's his little um, introduction to what we're going to get over the next chapter. So we could go straight on into it. He, he then defines, doesn't he, what these three things are, physical phenomena, all phenomena studied by physics and chemistry, phenomena of life, all phenomena studied by biology and its subdivisions, and psychic phenomena, which he defines as thoughts, feelings, sensations, etc. You know, a lot of people that are listening yeah. in the uh, in now, late part of the 20th century, certainly uh, now, when you say psychic phenomena, um, people are looking at telepathy, they're looking at um, having visions and having... Um, angel visits and all kinds of stuff but uh, he's not referring to that he's just saying that psychic phenomena are thoughts ideas and feelings we should make sure that people understand what he means by it and not what the common current perception of psychic is if you saw a poster saying yeah. come and see this well-known psychic um, at this venue tonight you would go there expecting some display of a medium perhaps or something like this or or somebody that's doing a mind reading act or goodness knows what which by the way is easily easily done but a uh, psychic obviously to him had a different meaning or to his translator so we should make that clear that that is what he means by this 
and not supernatural what we would call supernatural activity yeah i'm with you then i I want to explore that a bit more too because i've got phenomena of consciousness psychic and spiritual phenomena in brackets doesn't sound like you've got that no i don't mine is literally just psychic phenomena thoughts feelings sensations etc that's all it says so that's that's where we're getting confused because yeah, that's we are. The, that is the sentence that I have after phenomena of life yeah. and in brackets all phenomena studied by the biology and subdivisions and then the next and sentence then, says phenomena of consciousness psychic and in brackets psychic and spiritual phenomena and that's not what you've got obviously not at all I've got thoughts feelings sensations etc it's totally different now now hang on this is this is now we've got a problem this is interesting because what did he actually write and what's been translated because i don't believe one of us has got um a version that is a translation of what he wrote and one of us has got somebody's interpretation of what they would like it to mean that's the, so we do have an issue we have an issue here with what he wrote yeah, we do. And this was, and I will point out in my version later on, we, it would appear that Spensky is inter, interchanging the word consciousness, um, with a few things, like he's saying it's thoughts, he's saying it's ideas, he's saying quite a few different, it, it sort of encompasses quite a few different things. Um, and that, that's the point that I was going to bring up, but it seems that the person that's interpreted and translated your version, which is much later than mine, has uh, well, taken some liberties as well. the author's preface to the second edition. In revising Tertium Organum for the second edition in English, my chief concern has been to coordinate its terminology with the more developed terminology of those of my books written after the publication of the second Russian edition of Tertium Organum, from which the English translation was made. Such a unity of terminology is more necessary because I am obliged to lead the reader into regions of thought and knowledge where boundaries have not been clearly established and where different authors, and often one and the same author in different works and using and during different periods of his activity, have called the same thing by different names or different things by the same name. Well, he is one of the authors in my version of this that's guilty of that. And this um, and in this preface... This is the one where he says he's um, apparently supposedly tidied all that up. Oh, and so who wrote the preface? Is that a Spensky? No, this is him. Yeah, this is author's preface. This is Spensky's preface that I've just written. Oh. Just been reading that to you. Well, all right. Well, then maybe we... That's okay. interesting, isn't it? Well, that's interesting. Very interesting because, mm. yeah, I had some questions about the fact that he mixes things up. Yeah, and well, we've, we've, and we've mentioned here, this before, haven't we? We have indeed. And this particular chapter i thought yippee at last i have some sort of definition of consciousness when i read phenomena of consciousness in brackets psychic and spiritual phenomena i thought yippee i finally got something that tells me what a spensky thinks consciousness is seemingly not well because... in in my version i mean i'm not trying to get to the end uh, before we had the even had the beginning but this entire chapter nothing spiritual turns up in it whatsoever I mean, nothing in my version. Absolutely nothing. Well, that is interesting because I've got spiritual stuff all the way through. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's see, let's see where we go. Let's see where we go. So, okay. So we've, that's our first few paragraphs. So let's have a look at what he says in my version versus yours on 
um, physical phenomena. So mm. I think we, we won't disagree here, I'm sure. No, I don't so think so. My version, yeah, my version says, we know physical phenomena by means of our sense organs or the aid of apparatus. Many recognised physical phenomena are not observed directly. They're merely projections of the um, assumed causes of our sensations. And then he goes on to say that, you know, physics is probably, you know, as a person you probably haven't experienced absolute zero, but you understand the concept that there is such a thing as absolute zero and what that means because you have observed. Well, I don't, I, I don't think many people know about absolute zero, but yeah, I'll, 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 I take his point. That the, the, the people who are involved in physics research would have understood Kelvin's absolute zero, and and even though we we can't experience it, um, we understand as a concept what that means as as a as a starting point and a foundation for an, another means of classification of temperature. Okay, so that's fine. I would also suggest that there are other phenomena like X-rays, things that we can't see, that physics does does measure and it, it does measure the frequencies of of um, radiation that we cannot see that's outside the visible spectrum so we we do yeah. we do have lots of other things that we assume because we understand that the mathematics of what we do see leads us into these other areas that we can't see but we understand if x equals y y squared must equal whatever you know so we, we we do the maths and we and we and then we act we act upon the knowledge that we that we think we have of something and we find out that we get the results that concur with the the mathematics of the unseen and and in that way we prove it because we do prove x-rays by putting people in front of x-ray machines and getting the photographs on a photographic plate behind you know we, we we do get physical um, confirmation of the mathematics that says that X-rays should exist. We test it and exactly we can find so. it. Yep. Okay. So we get that. And and that's that's his physical phenomena. Then he yep. says he goes on to the phenomena of life as such are not observed directly. We cannot project them as the cause of definite sensations, but certain groups of sensations force us to assume in certain groups of physical phenomena the presence of the phenomena of life. We define the cause of the phenomena of life as a something not capable of being grasped by our senses nor by apparatus and incommensurable with the causes of physical sensations. The sign of the presence of the phenomena of life consists in the power of organisms to reproduce themselves, i.e. the multiplication of them in the same forms. And I'm good with that, to be fair. You are, are you? Doesn't yours then go on to say that sentence? You just ended on, on a comma from my version. You just didn't end on a full stop. My, in my version, that was a comma. And and what, he, what comes next uh, is questionable. Well, interestingly, what comes next is the phenomena of consciousness for me. So no, that's not what I've what got. What have you got? I, I've got more on the phenomena of life. Hang on. I've got more on the phenomena of life. It's, I'm not just going to skip over to phenomena of consciousness, which is, by the way, not what it's called in mind. We haven't finished that. The reason I brought that up is because he says something else. Um, you know, he's a sign of the presence of the phenomena of life consists in the power of organisms to reproduce themselves, i.e. the multiplication of them in the same forms, comma, the indivisibility of separate units and their special adaptability, which is not observed outside of life. Well, first of all, indivisibility. Of course they're, of course they're divisible. 
What do you think an amoeba does? Have you ever watched an amoeba? And by the way, this was well known in his time. So no wonder that doesn't exist in your version. I don't know who's what we've got here, you know, what came when. But that that's a that's a phrase that, you know, you, you any school kid that's doing biology could question that. Well that would have come after this. Mine's signing. Yeah, and I don't yours which is, is what I don't is later. Yeah. So, you know, he's put indivisibility of separate units and there is special adaptability, which is not observed outside of life. Um, well, I didn't even know what that sentence means. What is he well, saying? indivisibility that means that you can't divide. It doesn't divide. Well, amoeba do. They're divisible. Can you, you know, and, and they do it in nature. I'm not going to say that, you know, I, I can divide a human being by taking an axe to them and <laughs> cutting them into bits. That's not what he means. But in in nature itself, things do divide. That is a well, form of reproduction. Divide. Yeah, well, that's, that's why exactly I said amoeba. An amoeba is a unicellular yeah. organism. So, you know, and they do divide. But uh, even um, at the beginning of a fetus, like that's a cell that divides and divides and divides and divides, and, you, know, cr- you know, like until it creates a human being. So, yeah, I mean, even, even, if, even if he wanted to argue that, yeah, well, you know, cell division for a single organism so that the multiplicity of cells remain the one organism, he could argue that. But with an amoeba, you don't. The amoeba splits and it is the separate living entity. It is no longer connected to the original um, cell that divided. It's just not. It's, it's an independent cell of itself. So, you know, to me, to me that, and, and there will be other examples. I'm not a biologist, as anybody can see. But, you know, even I know this one. So indivisibility is a strange yeah. word here. And it, it, it's, it, it doesn't help his case. No. In your version, where this, where, this, where this end of the sentence doesn't exist, we can move on. But when, he, mm. when in mine, he's put that in for whatever reason, and this is the second edition, so I'm guessing that this is the later version, um, you know, as, as, as you understand it, then I can't understand why that, that's even gone in. The only thing I can think he might be saying is that if you look at a rock and you cut a rotting in half, you've still got a rock. But if you look at um, a tree and you cut a tree in half, you haven't got a tree anymore, you've got two pieces of wood like it. Well, if, you've, if you cut a rock in half, you've only got two pieces of rock. How is that any different? Well, you're still calling each one of them a rock. Um, but if you cut a person in half, you can't say both halves are a person. No, a person, you can't. But I don't think that that's what he's on about. I don't. Okay, I don't well, that's th- the only thing I can think he could, could mean with it because other than that, it's just not a true true fact. No, it's not. Anyway, let, let's let's move on because I, I, I find it a, a, a frustrating nonsense. And, like, a, a, and in so many of Uspensky's writing, simple ideas are then ruined by phrases like this and and like you just said if my version is is the one that came later than the version you've got it's been added in for for no purpose what was the question that people were asking him or he was asking himself with the sentence the way you read it that he that made him think oh i'd better put this in because this doesn't make any sense we could have moved on from your sentence we could we could move on from your sentence yeah, simple definition. If you can't reproduce yourself, you're not alive. That's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and, and you know, and I, I you know, we, we could, you know, a biologist could argue the point, but in general terms, for us, 
because because we're going somewhere yeah. else with this book um yeah that will do i i i would have gone okay yeah fine and so using that as the foundation of a biological organism um whether we're not even talking about intelligence and uh, and, and form as well um we you know we we'd have gone on i could have moved on and now we've got things about indivisibility into separate units and a special adaptability, which is not observed outside of life. Well, anyway, let's... Yeah, scrap that. Put a big line through it because yeah, it's not yeah. going to serve as purpose for this chapter. It's just... No, it's not. So let's, let's move on. Now, you've got now, because um, I've got psychic phenomena and you've got um, consciousness, haven't you, starting the, the next... I've bit. got the... Yeah. My next paragraph says, and we'll compare paragraphs, I think that's going to be important, the phenomena of consciousness are the feelings and the thoughts that we know in ourselves by direct sensation, subjectivity. Okay, well, hold on, because I've got psychic phenomena are the feelings and thoughts that we know in ourselves by direct sensation, full stop. That's it. See, if I'd read that, which I, and I must say I've possibly read it in the version that I've got other than this 20, 1920s version, I, I mean, I got excited because I thought, oh, at last, Dispensky's saying what he's seeing consciousness is made up of. Because we've, we've bandied around this term for the last, you know, 11 chapters. And, and, and you rightly pointed out last week, well, what, what is the definition according to Dispensky? And I had to scratch my head and say, well, I'm not 100% sure. And I thought, da da, here we are. We finally got something. And now you're telling me in your later version, he's not even calling it the phenomena of consciousness. And he's using a word that later in, um, you know, he wouldn't have known this, but later on, psychic became to me came to mean supernatural phenomena, you know, phenomena that we cannot investigate, know, and observe, and and quantify in anything like the same way. You know, I know that there are research labs doing serious academic research on psychic phenomena. They are, but their foundations yeah. are not um, physical. Anyway, moving on. No. We assume okay, there existence so, in others, is my next bit. Yep, got that. From analogy with ourselves, from their manifestation in actions, and from that which we gather by the aid of speech. Okay. But, as been, but has, has been shown by certain uh, philosophical theories, it is impossible to establish strictly objectively the presence of consciousness other than our own. A man establishes this usually because of his inner assurance of its truth. In other words, his experience. In other words, his experience. Okay, well, um, point number two. Uh, we assume their existence in others, part two, from their manifestation in actions. Were you just going to, did you have any questions in your mind about what that could possibly mean? I actually don't know what that means. Um Okay, well, let me tell you something. I, if you punch, if you punch me in the face, I can assume from your action, um, how you were feeling at that time. Oh, I see. Right. And what about fight or flight reflex? You know, if I back you into a corner, fight or flight, you know, so it's your actions. I can assume your feelings and sensation. In other words, I can assume this phenomena in others by their, by their actions. Right, and so that's why he's separating it from the aid of speech. So he's saying uh, the the communication we get other than speech is through action, body language. Yep, that's it. All of those things. Yep, we we have we have what are in fact um, physical phenomena. 
actions are physical phenomena. Mm. And he's saying that we assume the existence of consciousness based on those. Yeah, we do. Well, we do, because a rock, a rock never gets irritated enough to punch me in the face, but a living organism can. So, and what, and what would impel it to do so? It must first of all have the idea that it wants to punch me in the face, and I'm sure a lot of people do, but, um, <laughs> first of all, it, and they're welcome to come and try. They, first of all, it assumes that, um, this hasn't come out of nowhere, that, that, that there was first of all an idea to make the punch, and then the punch is carried out. And it's the carrying out of the punch that leads us to assume that there was, first of all, an idea in the mind. It might be a reflex idea. It might, it might not have been a, um, it might not be an action that comes after a period of calm deliberation. It might just be like a, a reaction, but it has to be an idea first. It has to, it has to come from the consciousness of the person delivering it. So in essence, if we look at these definitions, if we say life exists, say, in a tree, we obviously know that from his definition he's saying that if you can reproduce yourself, well, the seed will reproduce a tree. So that, from his definition, is life. But consciousness, a tree will not punch you in the face. So a, a tree will not, you, 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 I mean, you could stand next to a tree and try and get some sort of communication going. People but do. I haven't been successful personally, but... But, you know, but does that – so if, he, if, if we're looking at the difference between consciousness and life, he's basically saying it's that ability to act and react to some sort of direct stimulus. Yeah, but, I mean, the next bit, the next bit is, the, is the key point for me where he says, as has been shown by certain phys- philosophical theories, it is impossible to establish strictly – objectively the presence of consciousness other than our own a man establishes this usually because of his inner assurance of its truth in other words we have to have our own experience now you just said that you've never been able to um, form any kind of sensational communication with a tree lots of people do lots do and so that so so there's you know their subjective um, idea of consciousness is that the tree does have it and yet, I will say that when I look at an old building, I can feel a different the presence vibe, of what's happened. Shall we yeah. say? The, um, yeah. The the other thing is, I mean, there's the I think the BBC made it. They certainly showed it a, a two years ago. Um, the Secret Life of Trees, and this is this is actually physics. Um, uh, this is physical and as well as biology because the they do merge in these areas. That actually proved that there is communication between trees. They literally do communicate through root systems and God knows what else. Amazing. So now, so now, I mean, he wouldn't have known that and, 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 and that does happen. So, so we can say the same for other plants as well. You know, there's lots of research now done into reactions of plants just because they, they don't seem to be as evolved as us. Are they any less evolved than things that we do call, um, conscious life sometimes? I don't know, but they, it's, it's, this idea of consciousness is now having to be expanded. And now that you mentioned what you just said, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the, the uh, experiments they've done where you play classical music, rock and roll to plants and how they react differently. Obviously, they're reacting to direct sensation. It's just a different – they have a different existence, a different expression. But sure yeah, they it do. Doesn't mean that it, yeah, it doesn't mean they don't have consciousness because we look at his definition here – they are, they are reacting to direct sensation. 
I'd still go back to the the work done by um, Dr. Emoto, you know, the recently passed away Emoto, who did the, the work with water and what you say to it, love and hate. And we've mentioned this before in these podcasts. I would advise anybody, in fact, you know, I would encourage people to look up his work and especially YouTube and have a look at uh, the the results of that on water because most uh, living organisms we just mentioned plants you know trees and things um, that effect on water given that they are mostly water just like us you know you can see that that does have an effect on them whether this is um, con- an expression of consciousness or well, is an instinctive reaction consciousness I'm going to argue that it is but you know we we'll go down that road later on as we go through this we'll get to that yes. So I'm 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 good with his definition so far of of all three phenomena. I, I can yeah, move forward yeah. with I mean, that. I, I, you know, other other than like I said, you know, that thing that that seems unfathomably included in my version that's not in <laughs> yours. And you know, that was the that's the only thing that I'd questioned, and I was surprised that you seemed to be glossing over it. Now I understand. It's because you couldn't see it. It's not in yours. <laughs> that's right. I glossed over the invisible ink. I need lemon juice for that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> and only people of my vintage probably understand that that uh, reference to that. I know. I, <laughs> anyway. Well, I am of your vintage, so I do. <laughs> okay, so he then, in my book, then goes on to talk about the way these three phenomena transform themselves from yeah. one, between one and another. And I think it's important that he does this because yeah, if, I think so if, too. If you just try to to do this from the point of view of psychic or consciousness um, transformation um, without without a foundation to go on you, you're left floundering in space but this is this is interesting then so you, you, you go from your scaffold and, and take us through yes now tell me tell me if I'm jumping ahead and you, as opposed to your version so that because yeah. uh, I'm just going straight through from mine yeah that's so, okay yeah. so he starts yeah <laughs> so he starts with physical phenomena mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll read you a short extract. Physical phenomena transform themselves into one another completely. It is possible to transform heat into light, pressure into motion, etc. So it is possible to produce any physical phenomena from other physical phenomena, to produce any, any, to produce any chemical combination by the synthetic method, combining the composite parts in proper proportions and under proper physical conditions. Modern physics assumes electromagnetic phenomena as the basis of all physical phenomena, and this is italicised, but physical phenomena do not transform themselves into the phenomena of life. By no combination of physical conditions can science create life. And he goes on. Yeah, yeah, but I I would just bring us back. We've already been through this once before. We're now at a point where laboratories have created simple life. They've created this animated thing that, that looks as though it's reproducing too so i mean uh, yes we've not we're not at the point of creating frankenstein's monster that's going to go lumbering around the countryside um but life yeah yeah we are getting to the point where they're doing it um the details of it i don't know it's quite complex um i'm and i'm not reading the research papers i'm reading the headline news and then you know the, the snippets of quotes from the scientists involved but when they're printed up in respected journals, then you have to actually start looking at them and say, this is not fanciful. And they are. These these are peer-reviewed, published um, works of science. So, you know, let, let's, let's, you know, let's just say that this wasn't available to him, 
but it is available now. It does kind of squash his assumptions and, you know, what he understands about what consciousness is, though. Because limits that he's put on it seemingly don't exist. Well, it's an interesting thought. If we can, say, create life, is life uh, devoid of consciousness? Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, does life and, con- uh, life and consciousness a pigeon pair? So can you create life? Like, I'm just going to talk about, say, zombies, um, where they seem to you know, wander around and they haven't got... Uh, a consciousness per se where they're making decisions they're just acting on oh is, is making a decision um, the the definition of consciousness now well i'm just trying to to differentiate what a zombie and a person would be i'm just trying to look at i'm, I'm trying to establish do you think that when we talk about creating life they're creating these um sort of small advancements where you've got some sort of cell but is that life or is that does that cell have some sort of consciousness associated with it can you create could you create not now but could you potentially create a human body that is functioning with the heart moving and the brain working etc cetera, etc cetera, but have nothing uh related to consciousness in that body it, like kind of like an empty shell of a, of a person well i don't know um, i have absolutely no idea i'm not i'm not going to rule it out um, but I would, I would, I would rather rule it in. Yeah. So that's what I think would be interesting because if they, if they do, because he's going between physical phenomena, phenomena of life, and phenomena of consciousness. He's going between the three, and he's kind of saying, "Look, you can't start something physical and go, let alone from to life. That you certainly. Next thing is, he says, you certainly can't produce the phenomena of consciousness, i.e., of thought." from a physical means. That's his next kind of leap from, you know, you can't do life. And that's why I'm saying... Well, I, I, I haven't got that. Okay, so I'll, I'll read some things out. So he's, he's saying that um, you can... Physical phenomena you can measure. You can measure the amount of um, energy required or coal required to generate a certain amount of heat. Uh, you can, trans, to say, to transform ice into water. But oh, yeah, I've got, I've got that. Yeah, I, I have got that. You've got that, yeah. But you, great. Okay, so he says, but you cannot tell what amount of coal is necessary to create the vital energy in which one living cell forms another living cell. Well, that's exactly what they have done. That is exactly what this new, new, new science has done. Yeah, and so, so if they can do that, then his next bit is, in similar manner, physical, chemical and mechanical phenomena cannot themselves produce the phenomena of consciousness i.e of thought where it otherwise a rotating wheel after the expenditure of a certain amount of energy or after a lapse of a certain time could generate an idea well he says then yet we know perfectly well that the wheel can go on rotating for millions of years and no single idea will be produced um, how can we know that is he a philosopher here because if he was and he i mean the logic doesn't fit first of all um, we can't know um, anything of the kind about a wheel rotating for millions of years or what it may or may not produce because, first of all, we won't have seen a, a wheel for millions of years. If, as he will have done, he's following the mainstream academic um, history of hu- the human race on planet Earth, uh, humans won't have been round for anything more than thousands of years, much less millions, and so there isn't even... 
the opportunity to watch a rotating wheel. We didn't even have a wheel until relatively recently in human history, according to the mainstream, which means that there is no way of knowing what will happen. And it could well be that the rotation of a wheel after 70 million years has generated something that makes it go, hang on, I'm turning. I'm going to turn the other way now. You have, we cannot know this for certain. You just cannot know. You can assume, which is what he's doing, but he doesn't know. Um, and it seems, you know, he's, he's quite robust about it. Uh, the wheel, we know perfectly well. I mean, this is a heck of a phrase. We know perfectly well that the wheel can go on rotating for a million years and no single idea will be produced by it at all. We don't know anything of the kind. The act of, the act of rotating, it, you know, it might take a wheel much longer to formulate an idea than any, than conventional living organisms, but it might well generate one in the end. He's also making an assumption for inanimate objects here that in his day, he would have thought, oh, well, it's quite obvious this is, um, but he hadn't read any existential philosophy quite clearly. Um, the, the idea of volcanoes, you know, and things that he comes up with, and the Earth, the Earth itself, by many, many millions of people, um, is considered to have a life and a consciousness of its own. And, and the sun, and the sun and the stars and so, and, and so many other things, which is taking us out of the realm of here. But, you know, we are now in a, a, a point in time where millions, not just one or two, um, but millions of people already don't question this. They accept and know it and know it from, and they, they live their lives based on their experience of that consciousness of the earth. And they, and they advocate, um, ecological ways of living based on that too. So it's like. And you know, I think we're earth... getting to, go on. No, I'm just, you, you go for it, Alan. Yeah, no, so I, I think we're getting to what we've said all along, especially what you've said all along, is that consciousness is something you have to experience. Yeah. And just because you experience it differently to something else, doesn't mean it's not consciousness. Um, and I think Uspensky, I think Uspensky believes that too, because, you know, yeah, when, I when think he, so too. When he realized that it has to be subjective, it cannot be objectively measured. You know, the, the consciousness of somebody else can't be objectively measured. We can only subjectively know our own at this, you know, where he is in the book here anyway. And that's, that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that where he is now. I know we can go on further and we do, but, uh, you know, about collective consciousness and so on. But, but right now, where we are now, I, I'm with him. I'm, I'm okay with this. Yeah. And look, I take his point. He's making, well, he's making a bold statement about the rotating wheel. And, and potentially, like I think about a volume. It's only an analogy. He's just trying to make an analogy. So, I mean, look, you know. And we've we've been through all this. I, I I just I just wanted to make a point though. You you can't be so certain about it. That's all. Yes, I know you're being cheeky, Pete. I, I think because we, he is making it. He's trying to he's trying to build his case. But I, I I have thought of something from that, and I wonder, say a volcano, uh, a volcano sits dormant for a long time, and then suddenly it erupts. Does the volcano, we don't know and I don't know, does the volcano decide I'm having an eruption today? Or is it something that just happens? 
And and that sort of Or does the earth decide I need to I need a release valve? Is it is it a um, a natural phenomena of a living organism, the earth, just like you might develop a pimple to get rid of toxins out of the body and the earth has volcanoes. Who knows? Who knows? It's quite possible. It's quite possible though. Yeah, and I guess that, that what I'm trying to say is it might be a physical phenomena that manifests in the form of something that we could then potentially say came from the consciousness of some something else that's so so the the link between physical phenomena and consciousness may be that we we experience that in the in the a physical way but the source of it comes from some other uh deeper uh, aspect which could well yeah. be consciousness uh, that's that's <laughs> That's just a thought that came to me from 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 reading that, but I, I haven't seen a, a wheel generate an idea. But you know, it's interesting. Throughout your book, has it mentioned consciousness, or has it always talked about psychic phenomena? No, early on, early on, the word consciousness did come up once or twice in totally different contexts and meanings, so that you couldn't grasp what he meant by it at all, which we had long arguments over. We did. We did. And I wonder if he's had long arguments with people um, <laughs> over the word. To be fair, I I don't know if there is a definition that that even if I was to say what I thought consciousness was, I yeah. But you're not trying to write a book um, in a very high-handed fashion, telling people what what you know, are you? Yes. So we ought to. You that's ought to right. Clear. So he needs to be clear. I'm not giving him a pass. No, I know you're not. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, this, this is, this is a, a, a this is um, one of the problematic areas of of the book. If it was a straightforward read, you know, it, it would be easy meat, wouldn't it? But it's not, and it's not. Um, one of the reasons it's not an easy read is because he hasn't been consistent. Yes, and consistency is so important because you actually are following a thread, and if your thread starts getting frayed various points along and then you're trying to pull one of those those frayed bits to make the story and you pull pull the wrong one because you've made an assumption well you know then then you go down a blind alley and come back and go what do you mean after yeah, yeah we've we've had plenty of what did he mean by that yeah exactly right so so anyway let's let's continue and see what he comes up with because uh he does go on um, so the, so I've got to this next part of the book. He says the phenomena of consciousness are sensed subjectively and possessing an enormous potential force, transform themselves into physical phenomena into the, and into the manifestations of life. We know that at the basis of our procreative force lies desire. That is the psychical state or a phenomena of consciousness. So what he's saying in, by, in from what I can say is that he's thinking that Thoughts are, and, and that's kind of intermittently used with consciousness, are the things that create life and create physical phenomena. So he's using the example of, um, you know, a little bit of um, ha, 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 uh, makes the um, procreation of the species happen, that's life, and uh, thoughts create things to form to, to come into action when it comes to physical world so you have a thought i might go and uh, create that wooden sculpture so the thought precedes the creating of the wooden sculpture so something some physical phenomena um, expending of energy a physical phenomena 
I, I think we've talked about this before, and I think this is where he's kind of kind of going. But I'm going to hand it over to you, Pete. Well, desire. He uses the word desire, and you know what he's talking about is this idea of libido and sex magic. It's this freeing of this force of limitless power to achieve a result, a desired result. And it's directing it. I mean, this is what magic does. In most human beings, because that's the only way anything happens, the only way you'll ever raise your hand is by, first of all, having the idea that that's what you're going to do and generating a desire to do it. Boom. It's You don't even know what's going on. But when you direct it, when you say, I want X to happen and I'm going to go through this process, I'm going to actually direct my this this creative force within myself to do it and this is why we use libido we use sex magic because the procreative the the procreative and regenerative force is by far it is the force that's used to create everything not just another human being and it is the most powerful expression of libido anybody that's worked with magic and particularly um, high ceremonial magic you'll know this and this is why it's there in the modern world there is this idea of like nature magic and this rebirth of um, witchcraft. Everybody wants to, I don't know about what it's like in Australia, but everybody here thinks that they want to be a witch um, now and that they are a witch. And, and all this nature magic is going on and it's, uh, and, and then you'll get people writing, oh yes, yeah, sex isn't necessary. You can just, you can just represent it by having a cup and then a wand and this, that, the other. Well, it does, rep- that's what they do represent in, in one sense. And these implements of magic, although you don't need them, but the fact of it is that's that's glossing over it. That's making it nice and suburban friendly for our would-be witches who who don't want to have the experience of the rawness of nature. They it frightens them because they've been brought up by a society and they still live by modern society's ludicrously limiting moral values. You cannot escape the fact, and Ospensky knew this, I know that he did because I know who he's worked with and where he's been. You cannot escape the fact that this is the most powerful force for creation that we know. It's the most powerful transformative force that we know, those of us that have experienced it uh, in a directed way, in this way. And you you cannot get away from it. Um, When... When you put your tinfoil hat on and you look at the the people that run the world and the and the great names you know that have made things happen out of seemingly nothing and I mean you know we look at the Henry Fords of this world the the Andrew Carnegies and so on the Rockefellers and and so on <laughs> they don't shy away from this they are they are directing an idea in a very specific fashion and they're calling upon this immense power to make things happen this transformation of idea into physical substance which is what Uspensky's talking about here um, they are in effect turning base metals into gold the word we use is alchemy and the fire of alchemy the fire of the four elements of alchemy is this libido element this sexual element you cannot get away from it. If, if you really want to make things happen, do not be frightened of what it takes to make things happen. So that's, yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, when I read this, I thought, okay, he's used desire. Now, desire has 
many interpretations. You can say, I'd like that chocolate. I have a desire for that chocolate. Or I have a desire for something sexual. Like, and, and, and he's, in his example, I believe he's used the sexual one as you, as you, you were saying, because mm. he's talking about procreation. And then his next mm. sentence, which I thought, well, he's, I thought Pete's going to have a field day with this because of his being so sure and, and, and whatever and so, um, so firm, but maybe not. So he's saying at the root of the active, constructive, creative force of man that can change the course of rivers, unite oceans, cut through mountains, lies the will, i.e., again, a psychical state or a phenomena of consciousness. That's the one. It's spot on. A hundred percent. I totally agree with every single word of it. And yeah. I love it. Can I ask you if you've got this in your book? Just before that sentence, there's a previous one. It says, out of the united desire of a man and a woman, a whole nation may come into being. Yes, apologies. I should have read that because I've got this in my notes. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. He's talking about sexual desire. He's talking about that desire then creating a, a nation. And it's not just people. But also that, that particular phrase, um, what he means is, look, Julius Caesar... Uh, a human physical um, male, right? Biological male of the species, um, forged a nation. Oh, okay. You might you might say the nation already existed. Let's say Otto Bismarck then. Um, where 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 is the femininity in us, Otto Bismarck? To actually have this libido desire working, and it's I love how because this is cryptic. He's he's done it again. He's just thrown this in there. Those that know will know. Those that don't may be scratching their heads a little bit. Out of the united desire of a man and a woman can come a nation. Well, what you have to do is use the fire to stimulate this latent and limitless matter, the materium from which everything goes. So that's the alchemical water. So you use the, the fire to stimulate the water. Where do we see this um, in common? Well, the first book of Genesis, where the breath, the logos in the Greek translation, um, stimulates the water, it, the, the breath, and it moves the water. Now, suddenly, from something that is perfectly still, perfectly still, in other words, you can't know it, it takes form in the form of waves. How do we represent energy? By waves. So, in other words, the the creation of the universe by God, as a, you know, in in the book, of, first book of Genesis, um, that's what's being described. This action of desire, being the fire, the libido, on the passive material, the material that you're going to work with to create something that's independent of the two separate things. Brilliant. And, and that's what he's describing there. But that's a throwaway thing, isn't it? The, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. united desire of a man and a woman. You're thinking, well, what do you mean? T- show me an example of where that's ever happened. There isn't one in, in the, in the practical sense of it. But when you understand it's the inner, the, the inner, um, water and the inner desire, boom, you can make things. So it's the man mm-hmm. and the woman within each other's. This is the whole process of, the the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, the great Rosicrucian um, work of the 17th century. And anybody that reads that will wonder what the hell that symbolism is all about. And people do wonder what it's all about. But that is what it's all about. 
It's the, first of all, the separation, the perfection of each, each, and then the coming together to form something that's greater than the sum of its parts. It's done. So this is alchemy. This is pure alchemy. Mm, and he's really stepped out of the. I, he I, really I has, hasn't he? Mathematics, with... hasn't he? Yeah, it's oh, yeah. gone. Yeah, 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 it's gone. And he hinted at it. He's hinted at it. He he put that little alchemy reference in a couple of chapters ago, and boom, here we are. Yeah, well, he he mentioned the Kabbalah and all kinds of things, you know, which which come yeah. into all of this. He's still not. He's still not. He's still, he's still only just throwing them in as little sentences, isn't he? Though you know, the odd, the odd, like, what the hell does he mean by that? You know. He'll get there. He'll get there. Oh, he is getting there. So the the last sentence of, of that quote I had is, thus the phenomena of consciousness possesses even greater unifying force with relation to physical phenomena than the phenomena of life. And this is this is where I think this book is going. It's it's about that power of thought, that power of, well, desire, that, that, that power that consciousness has to create a physical phenomena. It's I mean, how do you make the Empire State Building? Well, first of all, you've got to get an idea that I want to make the Empire State Building. And and however difficult it's going to be, you've got to really understand that you're going to follow this and it will happen. There are certain processes you follow and it will happen. Most people don't build Empire State Buildings, do they? Or, or anything equivalent in their lives. No. No. So we're going to break there and the next podcast will continue. So thanks very much, Pete. I look forward to the next instalment. Fantastic. And I look forward to being here with you, Alice. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll continue with part two next week.